Welcome to a night of total terror. Episode 9 of the Undead Wookiee Podcast. The Undead Wookiee Podcast is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi. But here at the Undead Wookiee, we will dip into other genres because here our nerdiness knows no bounds. Tonight's episode will be the 1958 Hammer Horror classic, Dracula, a.k.a. The Horror of Dracula. This is the story of Dracula. A creature who destroys all whom he touches. Dracula the terrifying, the feared, who sleeps in the tombs of the dead by day and arises at night to inflict his terror upon the innocent and the unsuspecting. Oh, you must help me. You must. You're my only hope. You must. I'll help you. I promise. This is not Lucy, the sister you loved. It's only a shell, possessed and corrupted by the evil of Dracula. How do you destroy a fiend who has so far proven himself indestructible? Those who come to end his reign of terror stay to become his victims. Castle Dracula is summoned here in Klausenberg. Will you tell me how I get there? You ordered a meal, sir. As an innkeeper, it's my duty to serve you. When you've eaten, I ask you to go and leave us in peace. This is the doctor who dares to challenge the vampire Dracula. This is the anguished man who fears for the lives of his beloved, the girl who is his sister, and the one that is his wife. Dracula, the bedeviled master of all that is evil. that trailer it's fantastic um of course like i said right at the top of the show we're looking at the hammer horror production of dracula starring of course peter cushing as van helsing we've got christopher lee as count dracula we've got michael goff yes alfred himself alfred the butler as michael goff we've got melissa stribling carol marsh olga dickey john van essien valerie gaunt uh uh, Jania Fay, Barbara Archer, uh, we've got Charles Lloyd Pack, George Merritt, George Woodbridge, George Benson, and Miles Mallison. Now, it's a great cast, and lots and lots of those names would pop up in 
numerous, numerous Hammer films. Um, like I said, this film was released in 1958. It runs at approximately 82 minutes, so it flies along. It's directed by the magnificent Terence Fisher. Um, it was written by Jimmy Sangster, and it was released in the US as The Horror of Dracula. This film was made for a budget of £81,000. £81,000, that's absolutely nothing. Now, this isn't a straight-up retelling of the Dracula story. They do play around a little bit with the story. Um, what we've got here, we have Jonathan Harker, who has been sent on a secret mission by Van Helsing to infiltrate Castle Dracula, posing as a librarian. But unfortunately, things do not go to plan, and it is left down to the intrepid Van Helsing to stop Dracula himself. I love this film. It is a really, really, really good film. Um, and I'm going to take this opportunity to invite on now my very, very special guests for this episode. So at this moment in time, I would like to introduce tonight's, I say tonight, it could be whenever you're listening to the show, but I'm going to say tonight <laughs> for the purposes of the conversation. Tonight's guests are twin authors. C.L. Raven. Cat and Lynx, how are you doing, girls? Yeah, we're really good. How are you? I'm not too bad. And we're going to completely keep the charade up that we haven't had a nine-minute conversation before we've started this. <laughs> so, no, we've, we've just met. Yeah. Yes, well, we have, actually. Well, say, bizarrely enough, I <laughs> did see you guys at Bristol Horicon. I sort of... Ah, uh, yeah. I saw you guys at Bristol Horicon. I sort of had a little, little bit of a nose around at what you were doing, but I was sort of, uh, sort of t almost like you catch sort of ADHD, isn't it? Whenever you walk into any kind of convention, it's sort of, ooh, something shiny, ooh, oh, yeah. something gory, ooh, we have a, like, ooh, shiny, ooh, weapons. Whenever we like go to one of the we like to take photos of every one. We deliberately leave our wallets at our table because <laughs> they're like, yeah, we'd just be spending too much. So it's like, no, no, we got no money, and then we bought cupcakes. It's like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well. I went um, to Cardiff Comic Con um, in the well in the Motor Point. Um, I think. Oh uh, yeah, we always go to that one. Yeah, we were there, and we I sort of took took my wife with me, and she spent far more money than I did. Um, I'm a far bigger geek than she could ever possibly be. She's way too. You know, I'm. I've got to be honest, I'm punching well above my weight with my wife, but she spent a fortune. <laughs> I was well impressed. Anyway, we usually buy. We we buy weapons there when we shouldn't, and we persuade our mate to buy weapons, and uh, we really shouldn't because. But, but the three of us. Are, he needed to buy a house, and we convinced him that these huge swords are far more important yeah, than a house. There was like um, axe in the so from a World of Warcraft, and we convinced him that when he has his house, he'll need to decorate it. So therefore, the weapons are important. Yeah, well, of course. I mean, you know, it's. You know, any kind of weaponry is, you know, ample furnishing to uh, to any home. I think, you know, you've got your exactly. you've got your IKEA bed, you've got your IKEA whatever, and you know, what the room needs is some kind of medieval broadsword or axe. Yeah. An axe I think is the one weapon we're missing. Yeah. I mean, we just bought some new ones on the New Year's Day, so um, <laughs> we've got like a nice mace and uh samurai and nice. a rapier, so yeah, an axe is definitely one we're missing. I mean, one of my prized possessions is um, I do. Um, I, I did at one point because um, I, I did a lot of um, 
did a lot of fight choreography for um, for stage and for oh, and well. for various film. And my prized possession is my Viking um, is my Viking sword. It is uh, it's been with me through uh, through quite a bit. Um, it is my prize one of my prized possessions. It is uh, and it's battle ready, <laughs> so you can take an absolute hide. You know, I love it. I absolutely love. It. Actually, it's in the corner uh, right next to us. So we're here today, and we're, we're going to for the zombie apocalypse. Well, this is the thing. Everybody thinks that the zombie apocalypse is going to be a bad thing. Uh, I think, truth be told, I think the only problem is we're not, you know, not trying to seem too excited. <laughs> I know we can, you know, like you know, people that we don't like particularly well. Be, oh, I if you had, oh, I'm so sorry for you, a zombie you looked a little ill there. <laughs> you know. Did you just cough? <laughs> so we've got <laughs> uh, tonight. We're going to be looking at Dracula from uh, 1958. Um, of course, when it was in, uh, released in America, they named it The Horror of Dracula um, because they didn't want to confuse it with... So dramatic. It is. It is The Horror of Dracula. Have you seen the trailer? The original theatrical trailer. No. For it. <laughs> a chance, it's, on, it's on YouTube. It is absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. It is brilliant. It's got that sort of really big... Um, orchestral music to it um it's it's absolutely brilliant um it's going to be it's obviously included in the show so uh, when uh, when it's all up and edited guys you've got to check it out it is superb okay. now you guys have recently uh well i say recently within the past couple of months you've been to whitby haven't you we have we were in the november wasn't it? yeah we were in whitby comic con and um we stayed in the youth hostel that was right beside the abbey so we, we were reading dracula and frankenstein at the time so we took them with us so that we could read dracula right by the abbey and then at midnight we wandered around because we wanted to do a bit of ghost hunting there but um we, we were too short to climb and people are, oh you, you get over the wall but uh, we were too short <laughs> so we couldn't get over the wall but we, so we did spend a lot of time in the uh graveyard where uh in in the book lucy's bitten by Dracula so like at midnight we were there it was like zero degrees it was freezing but we were like we're not going back we're not going back to our new hostel we want to be in the graveyard and then like half an hour later like we're cold me knowing uh, Lucy would, would sit and like look over the cliff so yeah our new hostel was situated right between the abbey and the graveyard and it was amazing perfect location it is isn't it? I, I mean i've always wanted it's one of the places that i've sort of always wanted to be but sort of whenever you look at the imagery and those type of things it is it has got that sort of very very classically gothic um you know feel to the area and it's you know it, it, it sort of comes across doesn't it as the sort of the perfect place for any kind of vampire let alone dracula to kind of hang out in there uh... it does so in terms of your sort of, because, you know, you guys have, uh, you've been writing for a while now. Uh, what inspires you guys to write? Um, we used to read a lot as kids. And, like, we loved Rodal and we loved Rodal's twisted sense of humour. It sort of really appealed to us. And uh, we used to, like, um, like Shakespeare, like, um, they do Shakespeare stories for kids. And we loved, mm. like, all the bloody ones, like, Beth and where everyone got brutally murdered and, <laughs> and we just used to read so much it was just sort of natural that yeah we just the natural our own stuff yeah and, sort of natural progression to just writing our own thing. and we recently um we were clearing out the attic sort of like years ago and um we found stories that we'd written as 10 year olds that we had to write for like school projects and that and everyone in our stories gets like 
butchered and dismembered and we drew these like really graphic images with like pools of blood and <laughs> eyeballs on windowsills and that and we were like we sort of look back at them now and we were like we had some really interesting ideas why did nobody phone the psychologist <laughs> the teachers must have been like really disturbed by the stuff we were writing and it was just like it was the 80s it was acceptable <laughs> well being a teacher because that's what that is my uh, that is my day job and uh <laughs> um, I'm surprised, you know, part of my remit is sort of uh, is dealing with like, these kind of things that crop up in schools. So it wouldn't surprise me if it ended up across <laughs> my desk at some point. Um, so in terms of like, yeah, family of teachers, so it's natural. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in terms of film, now you know, you know what, what in cinema, sort of particularly horror cinema or sci-fi, what are the type of things that inspired you guys, or you really enjoy watching, or you can go back and you can sort of look at and uh, you know your top say your top five things that you know films are pop up that you can go back to and you can watch time and time again uh, um we love silent hell mm. and um actually my text tone is the silent hell siren and it, every time it goes off people jump it's like in the post office it's air right every time it just goes off and like like the Terrified, yeah, terrified. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I was here by myself, and so, and then they went up, and they, they were all looking around. It's like, I'm sorry, that's my phone. It's like I've just reminded them all of the wall. Yeah, they're all flashbacks. Like, <laughs> yeah, those who know Silent Hill, when it goes off, they were like, oh my god, and then those who don't know it, are just like, what the hell is that? But it's like Silent Hill is one that we watch again and again, and also like Nightmare on Elm Street, which mm. we love, and. We met Robert England in card the first card of Comic Con. Actually, we met him, oh, wow. and um, he spotted us from across the room and started quoting um, Edgar Allan Poe's "The Raven" at us because he was like "Goth twins," <laughs> and we were dressed as um, we'd gone. We'd invented our own Game of Thrones characters. We were House Raven, yeah. So uh, we had cuddly ravens on our shoulders, and also because James O'Barr, who wrote The Crow, yes, he was. Um, he was there as well, so we thought, well, it's a tribute to him and our house raven. Yeah. So, yeah, well, so it then was quoting the raven at us, and people would turn around looking at us, like, going, well, who are they then? And by the time we got to the front, he was still talking to us, and the photographer actually had to tell him to shut up <laughs> so they could take the photo <laughs> of us. So it was brilliant. He was so nice. Well, that's the one thing lots of people who sort of uh, who met Robert England um, say that you know, particularly at convention, that he does take time to spend, you know, to, to speak with fans and he'll sign autograph and you know he's you know uh, he, he does like his autograph queue was like really long because he made sure that he spoke to every single person he queued and he'd tell them like little anecdotes about working on the show on the films and that and so everybody got like at least. A five minute conversation with him and so his keys were so long because he just wanted to speak to everyone and yeah that's always good to know isn't it that's always good to know because yeah you do hear some horror stories don't you when people sort of go to conventions and uh, they sort of you know meet people who they've idolized for a long time and they can be a little bit disappointing when they turn out to be complete dicks so <laughs> yeah that's always my worry <laughs> something you meet and you think god what an ass because uh, we met <laughs> Kate Potter at, um, at Sheffield Horicon. Yeah. And, could, you know, we lived Friday the 13th. And um, he was there and we were so nervous. And, and then we ended up making dick jokes with him. <laughs> and he was brilliant. And we've got a shared interest in ghost hunting. So we, we were talking about that as well. And uh, like most people for their photo had 
photos of him strangling them or doing his head squeeze. We insisted that we strangled him instead. <laughs> and then he just picked both of us up and wouldn't put us down. <laughs> so, He's a big so, man. His neck is a lot bigger than that. <laughs> <hands. laughs> <I know, yeah. laughs> he is a big, big, scary man, though, isn't he? He is huge. Yes. <laughs> He is huge. I mean, is he? I mean, I got to be honest with you, and probably sort of, you know, I'll probably get some stick for this, but he is probably my favorite Jason. Out of yeah. all of them, he yeah. is my favorite Jason. I think he just brings a brilliant physicality to it. I think he brings a, a really, really cool physicality to the part. Are there any other sort of um, any other sort of things that sort of right now that you're watching that you're sort of thinking, oh, this is a, you know really, really into, or something you've gone back and revisited? Uh- Oh, we watched recently Digging Up the Marrow, right? Which is filmed as like as like a sort of um, like a documentary. It, yeah, it's a mockumentary, yeah. really, by um, the director um, who did Hatchet. Yes, and which we really enjoyed, and um, and Keenholz was in that as well. Yeah, yeah, and and so we we watched that recently, and it was sort of like one film that. Um, that we watched, so we, that sort of stuck with us, and we've recently bought it so that we can watch it again. But we did really enjoy it. It, it was so different, and like at the start, like he films like at, at cons, so he goes and speaks to all famous horror actors and that about this film that he wants to make, and it was just sort of it was a really interesting film. Yeah, so we weren't expecting much of it, thinking low budget, it's not going to be very good. But cause, yeah. I mean, we love bad movies, but no, it was surprisingly good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to keep... Was it Digging Up the Marrow? Yeah. I'm going to have to keep my eye out for that. I mean, I'm, I love a bad movie. I really love a bad movie. I think, you know, I think a really, really bad movie is a thing of art. Um, and I don't think enough people sit down and sort of appreciate a really bad movie. Um, we See, we do. We have our own bad movie appreciation society. Yeah. So we regularly have... Well, is it? We say society's us and our mates Bin and Jordan. Yeah, and uh, so we regularly celebrate. It started with Sharknado, and we've never looked back. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, Sharknado we do, we, could we be seen as a gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like if it, if any film has a shark in it, we will watch it. Which, like the of the bad movie genre, shark films are our particular favourite. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do. I am quite. Um, is it? Oh, what was the one? Anaconda versus Lake Placid. Oh yeah, have we seen haven't that? seen that. Oh, yeah. I need to see that. I'm, you know, I've been toying and I've sort of uh, mentioned it to a couple of people uh, previously that we, you know, to do a re- to do a bad films episode. Uh, so oh, bad yeah. it's good, and yeah. um, that's one that crops up. Obviously, Sharknado keeps cropping up. Um, we love Shark the Puss ones. Yeah, yes. Shark. Brilliant. Sharktopus is just adorable. <laughs> but like, we, we watched him, um, he is, you see him, and he's like, oh my God, he's just so cute. I don't know what it is about Shark, about Sharktopus, but he he's a particular favourite of ours. But um, we watched like Big Ass Spies as well, and we thought it was going to be like a so bad it's good, but it was actually just really, really good. Yeah. And yeah. The, La was the same yeah. as I was in there. We were like, this, this is amazing. Did you find that you were slightly disappointed though that it wasn't bad? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I found that, and I mean, my other major, major weakness is for a really bad ninja movie. Oh, yeah. I have an absolute weakness for that. So anything with the word "American Ninja" in the front of it, I, I'm pretty much <laughs> sorry. Um, 
I mean, at the moment, guys. So I know that you, you know, you're, you're very, very, very active on the sort of um, on the sort of convention scene and sort of, you know, making sure that you, you know, you're, you're getting your books out there. And like I said, I'm just um, I'm reading Soul Asylum at the moment, and I love it. It's a really, really good read. Anybody um, who's looking at sort of uh, to get into you in, into your writing, I think it's a perfect way in. Um, it's, a I, drug. it's a gateway <laughs> drug. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you've mentioned ghost hunting. So what got, what started you guys into that? That was writing. We were writing a book about um, ghost hunters. And we thought, we need to do some research on this. So we mm. bought a book about haunted Cardiff, because that's where we're from. Yeah. And we convinced our mum that the best way to spend like her evening was to sit in a pitch black country lane, not sort of like about five minute drive from our house to see if we could see that this ghost that's supposed yeah, to be haunted. It was the name that led from like a Philly to Red Jay and we were like, you know, <laughs> we need to see whether this style is haunted. And, I'm, and we also convinced her to get out of the car and like have a little explore. And then, <laughs> and also uh, it's just like abandoned petrol station in Bronclis as well. Yeah, but, we convinced her that sitting there for like an hour on end is a perfect way to spend another evening. And so we just sort of really got into it from there then. And then we... A friend had sent us the, a link to these uh, cheap ghost hunting tickets on like KGB um, deals and that. Mm. And by the time we actually got our act together to book, the only place left was Riffin Jail in, in North Wales. Yeah. And um, so we had these like, it was like £19 ghost hunting tickets, and we had to end up having a three day holiday then in North Wales so we could use them. Yeah. And we filmed it because we thought oh, it's going to be really interesting. And after we filmed it, we were like, you know, because there was a lot of ghost hunting yeah, shows around. Yeah. We were like, we could totally do this. You know, we've got no video editing experience. We've got no production <laughs> company. We've got no budget. We could do this. And uh, so we did. <laughs> <laughs> In the first few episodes, edited a movie maker. Yeah. With one camera. So five years later, we're still doing it. <laughs> yeah, but not a movie maker anymore. <laughs> And that was when we got kicked out of Denby. It was the same time then. We thought, well, we'll go check Denby out while we're here. And then security's like, please leave. <laughs> We've got both of so excited, so we're happy. I mean, it's, um, I mean, I've, I've, you know, one of the things I used to really love, I was a big fan of Most Haunted for a while. And, um, yeah, I that, meet... that's what started us off as well. Yeah. I mean, I got to meet Derek Acora the one time when he played um, St. David's Hall. Oh, uh, well... We got to meet Richard Felix. We spent a night in his jail. We, he actually let us sleep in uh, in his jail. He owned Derby Jail, and right. he did let us sleep there at a Christmas party. So, oh, that's really that, cool. Yeah, that's really cool. The, what my lasting memory though of Derek Acora was he absolutely uh, he, he, he I don't know he sort of whether he bathed in it, but he, he the smell of brute. Yeah. <laughs> 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 He really, really did. Distinctive smell. Yeah, very, very distinctive uh, smell. Now, obviously, we've touched on uh, Dracula, so we'll uh, we'll dive into the film. Now, obviously, the the Hammer uh, production of uh, Dracula, or like we said, the uh, horror of Dracula, which they released as an American in 1958. It was the first time, really, that they'd taken the Dracula character and really went for the blood and the sex and sort of they had a, a count who really sort of embodied or took a little bit more from the book um, in the sort of in Christopher Lee who I think is absolutely amazing 
Yeah, he, he is. Film. He is a super, and I mean, he's he was a supreme actor in, and I think he doesn't get it. You know, okay, his credit is his film credit runs in the hundreds. Yeah, he did loads. <laughs> he did, yeah, and so, you know, of varying quality. I think it's fair to say. I think it's fair to say that. Yeah. Um, but what is your um your before we dive into sort of what works for the film, what didn't work, the sort of the change, the differences in the book and those type of things. But what's your take on Christopher Lee as the Count? Yeah, no, I think he was sort of perfect because like, we've watched, you know, over like the Halloween period, we watched a lot of Hammer films mm. and the Dracula ones were always the best ones. They were always our favourite, you know, they were our favourite ones of, of all the sort of legends. And his portrayal is, you know, when people think of Dracula, they think of Christopher Lee. Yeah. So. You know, his performance in it has, has lasted, you know, they don't think of the book. It, it's no. Christopher Lee. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things that I um, that I do love about Christopher Lee is his presence. Just, this, yeah. you know, his height um, and the fact that he goes from being that sort of very suave, sophisticated count um, to the sort of the feral, the feral sort of vampire. You know, yeah, the... he's got this sort of really menacing, like, on-screen presence. And obviously, you know, because he's tall as well, but it's just, there's just something about him and, like, he's mesmerising, really. Yeah, sort of. he is. Yeah. And without sort of resorting to the sort of, uh, the Bella Lugosi sort of uh, googly-eyes staring. <laughs> <laughs> now, and that's not to say, don't get me wrong, I am, uh, you know, you've got to be very, you've got to tread carefully sometimes when you talk about sort of Bella Lugosi because... He is, of course, people's first Dracula, and the sort of yeah. when people go back, you know, particularly when they look at the Universal monsters, he is, you know, again, he's that sort of that image that can that comes straight up, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, the other person, of course, uh, that we have to talk about whenever we mention Hammer, or wherever we mention Dracula in the Hammer in the Hammer context, is Peter Cushing. Yeah. And I, th- you know, for me, um, Peter Cushing is is sort of is van helsing um whenever i read the book or i've gone back and read the book several times and whenever i read the book um peter cushion is i always read him as van helsing yeah if that makes it's sense. A, yeah, yeah it, it's strange because like obviously you know like they, they were you know this sort of like the the iconic like dracula and van helsing roads and it's that it's like in modern cinema you don't get that so much you know with and you think of, obviously, there's a lot of, you know, modern horror that have come out, but there's sort of generally not really one actor that you would think, you know, oh, could play that iconic role. And when you think of that role, you picture that actor. But from the Hammer ones, it's sort of, it's lasted. Yeah. And like, yeah. even now, like, you know, younger people in that, you know, they would be aware of them because they are, you know, that iconic. They're sort of, they're very much, you know, um, Christopher Lee is Dracula and and that but if a modern remake were you know if they were to remake Dracula you know they seem to have a habit of remaking yeah, films yeah, yeah. so it's only a matter of time but any modern actor I don't think would really be as associated with the role yeah no that's true and I mean they've sort of they went back didn't they was it um, with the the Welsh cat actor what's his name Chris, is it Chris I can't remember his, uh, oh, his name escapes, but they did with Dracula, is it Dracula Rising? Um, uh, where they went back and sort of um, sort of gave him a bit more of a backstory and those type of things. And it was awful. 
<laughs> it was awful. But it's not even in that sort of it's so bad, it's good kind of thing. It's just really because it sort of kind of misses the point. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I think people sort of uh, automatically think of, think about sort of uh, and sort of modern Dracula tellings is Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula uh, with Gary Oldman. Mm. Um, and again, I think, you know, in terms of sort of iconic performances, I think Gary Oldman's Dracula does sort of uh, stand up very well to Christopher Lee. Um, but interestingly enough, when you think about when you when you're trying to you compare and contrast the two films, um, the major letdown for me in both of the films is Harker, the guys who play you know the actors who play uh, Harker, um, yeah. obviously Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves's British accent. Um, <laughs> Anyone trying to do a British accent is going to fail. It's it's not the best, is it? And I mean. Um, Again, here in uh, you know in the Hammer, in the Hammer production of it all, he, he sort of um, he's again he's a little bit one dimensional. He's a yeah. little bit sort of uh, he's weak. It, sort of, yeah, because like, obviously in the book, well at least at the start of the book, Harker was the very main part of it, and then obviously when it switches to like Mina's journal and letters, and sort of from that point on, Harker then in the book becomes very much a, a background character. Mm. But it's sort of, you know, when you think of the Hammer films and, and like, and who played who, you sort of like, you don't even think of Jonathan Harker. He, like, so in the book, he, he climbs down the wall to get to, uh, the Windy <laughs> yeah. you know, that takes bravery. It's a, you know, he's castled up in the middle of the Romania mountains and he's like climbing down the wall to see where Dracula goes. And, but, but yeah, whenever you think of any of these films, it, it's always, it's Dracula and, it's Van Helsing and that, and yeah, Harker is very much a, a background character, which, you know, in the start of the book, he, you know, he's the main focus, he's the one telling the story, it's, mm. you know, it's all his personal account, but yeah, there's no sort of, um, like, you know, he's sort of more brushed aside in the film so much. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, in the, in the, in the Hammer sort of 1958 film, the, the actor who played him was, uh, John Van Essen and um, he, he's you know very very prominent stage actor and that really comes across because he you know he's um, he, you can almost see him sort of not trying to emote too much but it's that sort of classic stage actor I'm now on uh, I'm now on uh, <laughs> I'm now on film but I'm still going to do my stage bit um, <laughs> and it sort of it really does sort of um, it does really sort of drag the film down Mm. Um, but again, when you look at the cast for the 58, of course, you got Peter Cushing as Dr. Van Helsing. You got Christopher Lee as Dracula. And then, of course, we have our main man, Michael Goff, who would later become uh, known to many people as Alfred in Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, uh, and here he's playing uh, the role of Arthur. And again, in, you know, they change, and we'll come on to some of the changes a little bit later, but he changes. Uh, the writers, for whatever reason, you know, mostly copyright, um, changed sort of key elements within it um, and sort of figures that you would sort of think will be prominent figures throughout the story aren't. They can become sort of very, very fleeting. And I mean, for example, um, Dr. Seward. I, I was going to say him, yeah, because 
Because um, he's one, he's one of the point of view characters. Yeah, because it, we read Dracula years and years ago, and then obviously when we were going through it, we decided that we'd read it again. Yeah. And then it was when we did it again because obviously we'd seen the the Hammer Horror films over October, and then we went back and read the book, and we were like, "Hang on, Doctor Seward is like a main character in the book." And his, um, you know, his work in a psychiatric hospital, and yeah, because Van Helsing doesn't get a point of view in the book until right near the end. No. It was Doctor Seward is the one. He's the one that calls Van Helsing. Yeah, he, he's he's the reason Van Helsing's there, and you know, it's his study with Renfield, and he's a major part of the book, and and he he knows about vampires, and like, because obviously he knows Van Helsing and Van Helsing's work, and yeah, he he gets a. a yeah, point of view, and um, and then right, you come to the films, and it's like we we start to see. Yeah, so yeah. if you didn't know the book, you wouldn't even think of him. But you know, when Lucy starts getting in, it's Dr. Seward and Van Helsing who are trying to combat him. Yeah, they're like a, they're like a team in the book, and yeah, then in the yeah, films, yeah. it's all Van Helsing. Yeah, and, and like nowadays, you think of Jackie and say you think Van Helsing vampire hunter. You think Dr. Seward played a huge part of it as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think. And it, it, it kind of takes it away from 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 the story because you you sort of you read the book and you do expect these characters to be in it. And yeah. Then, you know, I'm you know, I'm going to say this now. We're, I probably should have said this at the beginning. We are entering into a spoiler territory here. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, the film was released in 1958. <laughs> yeah. So, you had the chance to watch it, people. <laughs> so if you haven't seen it, pause it. Pause the podcast right now. Find it because it's available to rent on Amazon for like two pound. Watch it, then come back, then you know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, sort of, when you think about um, the Count in the book when he first appears, you know, he's an old man. Yeah. And he's sort of, you know, but obviously mm -hmm. when, we, when we see Christopher Lee, he's very much Christopher Lee. Um, mm. You know, he's got the big black cape and, you know, he's very, you know, you know considering, you know, this is... Uh, uh, 1950. He's very, very cool, suave, and sophisticated, isn't he? He is. Yeah. You know, he is very much there. And then you've got sort of um, in the film here, yeah. Dracula only has one bride. Yeah, because he has three. Yeah, yeah. everywhere it's three. Yeah. Um, you know, he's only got one bride in the film, and the bride is killed by Jonathan Harker. But in the novel, obviously, he's got these three brides, and they're all killed by Van Helsing. Yeah. You know, and then we've got, um, you know, in the film, we've got Mina, uh, who's Arthur's wife, and Lucy is Arthur's sister. I know, that really confused us. We were like, hang on a minute. We're like, but, you know, obviously, because we, we grew up with the book and we've seen stage productions of Jacket, and it's like, Mina becomes Jonathan's wife. Obviously, she's not his wife in the start, but she becomes, because she's Mina Murray in the book. Yes. And she becomes Mina Harker, but it's like, Obviously, Lucy is like courted by Doctor Seward, Arthur, and then um, Quincy. And, and Quincy, and then, but yeah, in the film, it's like she's Arthur's sister, and we're like, that didn't happen in the book. If she was, it's Arthur, not Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, 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 she's Arthur's sister, but it'd be questions. Yes, I mean, this is the other the other thing as well. Now, in the film, and here comes a big spoiler. So please, I'm gonna give. I'm just gonna wait. Hang on. You had your chance to pause it, right? Dracula is killed in the film. <laughs> By Van Helsing, yeah, who yeah. he exposes, and it's a really cool scene in the film, even it though it's is. not in the book. It's really cool because there's something yeah. I said this on the last episode when we were talking. Um, we did the Wicker Man, we talked about the Wicker Man, 
yeah, I mean, it's for me the Wicker Man, and I spoke about this. It's quite a sort of, um, it's quite a personal film to mm. uh, me and my wife because we we got married in Glastonbury. Um, our sort of we got married married in the Goddess Temple in in Glastonbury, and uh. our house is full of uh, the Green Men and sort of Bridget Crosses and all the you know all, all these you know all, all the you know the important things to us, and you know we sort of we make sure that we sort of follow the seasons and. Uh, we were up at Stonehenge for the uh, for the solstice and all this. Oh, Stonehenge is amazing. Oh, I, I tell you something. If anybody does have the opportunity to go, go for the solstice or go get out there for the summer solstice because to actually be in the middle and stand on the stones and be around everybody who is singing and it's just it's an amazing amazing and to see the sunrise um, through the stones is incredible. Yeah. We we saw Stonehenge and the ones that. Avery as well, yeah, and yeah, yeah. The uh, the barrow—I can't remember what that was. That was at the top of a hill, but it's yeah. like it was such cool places. No, it's incredible. It's incredible. But anyway, I was thinking—I digress. Sorry, um, but I was talking about uh, Peter Cushing, and there's something about Peter Cushing is one he takes a slap like no other man <laughs> because he sort of he gets hit, and then like he yeah. sort of manages always, and it's the same piece of floppy hair. <laughs> and then you sort of, he obviously runs and he dives and he pulls the curtains down. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, brilliant scene. And then he picks up the sort of the two candlesticks and makes a cross and then sort of pushes him in. It's absolutely brilliant, but obviously, in the Not, book, but, yeah. it's a little bit different, isn't it? Because obviously you've yeah. got um, you know because he's Dra- Dracula is killed by Harker and mm. you know um, and Quincy. You know, because Quincy, yeah. um, it's in the cart on the way to the castle. They yes, sort of yeah. ambush them. Yeah, yeah, and he sort of he, he slashes his throat, doesn't he? And then he gets he stabs, yeah. him, through, stabs him through the heart, which again it's like a dramatic chase in the book. We're with yeah. the you know they're all trying to get back to the castle, so it's quite dramatic in the book. But yeah, totally different. Yeah, and then you've got sort of, but then the major sort of and lots of sort of. I know lots of sort of uh, vampire films in particular do play around with sort of the rules and the law of vampires. But in the book, it talks about just sunlight um, just sort of diminishes their powers a little bit. They're not sort of, you know... Yeah, sort of... yeah, it's it's quite incredible when you think of like what has become vampire law, of what kills and what the weaknesses are. And it's a lot of it started with Dracula, like the hypnotism film. Yeah. yeah. done because... Bram Stoker went to see a stage hypnotist and became utterly obsessed with it. So then when he wrote Dracula, decided that his vampire was going to be able to hypnotise people. And now it's become just sort of staple in the vampire lore. But obviously vampires and the legends have been around in Romania and yeah. uh, sort of eastern countries for, you know, many, many centuries. But it wasn't until Bram's... And the stories have been written about him, about vampires before... Yeah, but he was the one that created the uh, the hypnotism thing. It's also interesting to see what has been lost. Like Dracula can turn into obviously a bat, he can turn into a wolf, he can yeah. turn into mist. Yeah. But nowadays, people are seeing as uh, vampires turning into bats as being too cliche. So now vampires don't shape shift at all. No, yeah, no. Was, he I, I like the mist. I like he could get into any. They, 
lock Mina in the room, be, you know, he's missed, he can still get in. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I, and again, it sort of brings that edge, doesn't it, to uh, to the character itself, that there's nothing that can really stop him. Um, yeah. And I think the one thing that the, uh, obviously, I mean, that the Francis Ford Coppola film handles really, really well is the shape-shifting. And the mm. transformations from, you know, where, he, where Dracula changes into a bat, when he's changing, when he's the sort of, where he's the werewolf uh, um, at a point, and then the mist itself, and then it changes into the rats. Yeah. You know, I have a massive phobia of rats. <laughs> a ridiculous phobia of rats. And they, that, that bit where he, they just, tra- where they, they all just sort of, he sort of drops to the floor, and there's the thousands of, oh, it just kills me yeah. every single time. Not the gore, not anything else, rats. We're okay with rats. She's quite lucky because I had one jump at my face the other week. Oh. Like, she was on level with me and she did jump at my face and I panicked a little bit but then tried to catch her and she escaped. But... Oh, no. I, my phobia for rats comes from being at a very, very young, impressionable age and reading the book The Rats by James Herbert. Uh, see, Stephen King's It did it with clowns for us, but I think we watched it we were about eight yeah. or nine and... <laughs> Clowns and arachnophobia at the same age, and, and so then clowns and spiders. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the. I mean the. The one that, you know that I, we could probably do a show actually on films that scarred us as children that we shouldn't have watched. <laughs> but, uh, bizarre, uh, like our favourite film when we were kids was Snow Beast, and we loved Snow Beast. The remake is just terrible. <laughs> Our child, the remake is a man in a monkey suit that cars <laughs> at people. Yeah, and you see his face like the whole thing. But our childhood memory is trying to pause the VHS on Snow Beast's face because you see his face for a split second in the film. Yeah. And because with VHS, there was always a delay on the pause button. And yeah. we wasted many, many weeks probably of our childhood trying to pause it on Snow Beast's face so we could see it. But we didn't develop a, a fear of, you know, the abominable snowman. And another favourite of ours as kids was Blood Beach, which you, like, yeah. can't get hold of. Yeah, it didn't get a DVD release, so you, like, can't get hold of Blood Beach. We managed to download that onto a, a USB. But, yeah. you know, lots of people getting sucked through the sand and skinned alive by this, like, alien plant thing. Yeah. But we didn't develop a fear of beaches either. <laughs> but clowns and spiders... <laughs> Things that you encounter more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I mean, for me, and I always say about this, if, uh, you know, I like whenever it comes up, and I mean, uh, I've got to mention it because uh, William Peter Blatty, uh, who wrote The Exorcist um, and directed um, The Exorcist Three and wrote the, the follow-up Legion, um, recently passed away. Mm. But um, I remember, and it's I, I still cite it as I, th- I still think it is probably the greatest film of all time. Um, it's my Citizen Kane. Um, <laughs> there are lots of people who sort of say otherwise, but for me, it is. I think it's you know, in terms of books and films, I think it's absolutely perfect. It is absolutely no perfect. And I remember when I read that book, um, having to put the book in the bathroom and <laughs> close the door, so I knew <laughs> that there were at least two doors between me and the book. <laughs> But again, like you said, you didn't develop a fear of beaches from uh, from Blood <laughs> Beach, and I didn't develop um, a fear of possession uh, from The Exorcist. But I see a rat. I can't even go a pet into pets at home. <laughs> I've got to make sure that I'm on a certain side of pets. My wife thinks it's hilarious. Um, 
So right. in the patch that we go to, because um, we've got reptiles, we've got an iguana, we've got snakes. Yeah. And um, so when we have to go to the pet shop to get um, frozen mice for the snakes, we know that about a few feet away is the tarantulas, and oh. we just will not go to that section of the pet shop. We'll go to the fridge, we'll get our frozen mice, we'll wander into the reptile section, and we'll go and look at all the snakes and the... Um, and, and the lizards and that, but, like, but the next one over is the tarantulas, and it's like, nope. Yeah, Even no. if the stuff we needed from that part, nope, we yeah. would not do that. Yeah, no, I can, I, and people sort of, you know, sniggering about phobias, but no, it is, it, the struggle is true. The struggle is very, very true. <laughs> well, we, uh, we panic because, like, obviously, we do a lot of the horror cons, and yeah. people keep insisting on dressing as clowns. And yeah. in Sheffield, there was a group of them. And we did the the, um, the classic thing of, if you don't make eye contact, they won't see you. <laughs> so we were deliberately avoiding looking at the clown so we wouldn't draw attention to ourselves, which was quite hard to do because we mm. did have orange hair at the time. So we did stand out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, one clown came to our table and we had like a bowl of sweets that we would offer people and he'd be like sort of just standing there like, choosing what sweets he wanted and we were like trying not to look at him but at the same time trying not to appear rude whilst at the same time thinking please leave our table just go well it's really funny um we did uh a group of us uh did the zombie run um up in and uh, that was the sort of the, the zombie experience up in the um um the ronda heritage park Oh, we uh, did that over Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, we probably, that was probably, yeah, we went over Halloween just before Halloween. And it's yeah. quite funny because um, at the moment, you know, I'm, uh, I've been doing Krav Maga now for oh, <laughs> easy, a long, long time. And I've always said to myself, do you know what? In the event of a zombie apocalypse, I will be absolutely fine. I'll be yeah. fine. Yeah, do Krav Maga, definitely. I'll be absolutely fine. However,. I lost all ability to open doors. <laughs> Where it said push, I was trying, you know, pulling. Um, That's me in normal life. <laughs> and then, you know, you, you, your closest friends, you know, we're all be, we've been friends for donkey's years. And we did realize that actually one of our closest friends has absolutely no qualms in pushing you <laughs> towards somebody <laughs> running at you with a chainsaw. <laughs> so... <laughs> One of our mates is actually uh, one of the zombies ah, there. Ah, right. And uh, we, but we didn't know where he was going to be, and then like he ended up grabbing me in the dark and like dragging me through this bit. And I knew it was him because I saw him. Like, and you could, I could tell it's him because he's got a ginger beard and piercing. So yeah, yeah. It's quite <laughs> But he couldn't see me because it was dark, and he ended up grabbing me, like dragging me through like the black airbag things. And I, yeah. And I was just giggling because I knew it was him. If it'd been anyone else, I'd <laughs> probably would have panicked. But we love those events, and like we did one in Huntington. Like, we did three of them. We did three. Yeah, we did that. We did one at the Heritage Park. We did one in Huntington with a friend who lives out there, mm. and she's a third dan in Taekwondo. Yeah. And um, she would, and she was like, the whole time we go around, she was like, I'm going to have to stop myself from. She said, you know, I'm trained to someone looks out at me that I can attack them, and she's like, I can't. I I've taught some of these people. Then <laughs> <laughs> we did. Um, what was the other one we did? Oh, um, Frightmare, Frightmare in Gloucester. Yeah. And, um, we dressed up as Silent Hill nurses for that one because we were allowed to dress up for that. Everybody else there thought that we were actors because we were dressed up, so we just pretended to be the actors and we just 
stalk people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the film. Sorry, guy, we digress. The other major thing, and I couldn't quite get my head around this, is Jonathan Harker's job. Mm-hmm. They in the novel, obviously, he goes to you know Harker goes to Dracula Castle, Castle Dracula, because he wants to sell. You know, he's going to sell some real estate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's a state agent, yeah. Yeah, he has no idea. But he's solicitor, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Of state, yeah. But in the film, he arrives at Castle Dracula um, posing as a librarian. <laughs> it's like, it's totally different. Because yeah. I know Dracula has a massive book collection. Yeah. yeah. He's got, like, all these rare first editions and that. Because he does, in the book, ask... Jonathan to sort of catalogue some of them but yeah. it's like you know his um, collection is very important to him but it's like that is a really odd yeah mm. odd change considering you yeah. know he's like looking for a place for Dracula to buy in London and which is why Dracula comes over in the first place so yeah. to remove that is it's an odd choice and I mean where they actually set the whole story it's sort of um, it's not Romania, it's not Germany, it's all in this sort of, um, it's in uh, a Klausenburg, um, which, you know, is it Romania, is it Germany, is, and sort of, the other thing that always makes me laugh in any Hammer film, no matter where it is, if they are set in, they could be deepest, darkest Eastern Europe, whenever they come, a lot, come, come across a tavern or an inn, it is always run by some kind of cockney. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everybody is very go oh, blimey, governor. Yeah. And you just think, my God, that's a yeah. really thick Cockney accent in Romania. You still think, you know, at least have people try to do the accent. Yeah. You know? It's not all in England. Yeah. But what I always found in the Hammer films, which is I'm not sure if anyone has picked up on, is the loudness of their footsteps. Yes. Because, of course, they're all wearing proper... Shoes, you know, nowadays people are wearing trains and that. They're wearing proper shoes and obviously the, the floors, they're all like, I don't know, concrete or whatever. But their footsteps always seemed like weirdly loud. Yeah, it's obviously like yeah. footsteps yeah. or something. But but not only that, but they have a dis- this distinctive sound. That it's not like normal footsteps, which is really weird because it was, so not long ago, I heard someone, I think it was in a hospital, and I could hear them walking, and I was sat there going, oh, my God, it's Hammer Horror footsteps. <laughs> yeah. But no one else seemed to notice it, but they have this distinctive sound. So if any, you know, anyone hasn't watched them for a while, listen out, especially the Dracula films, listen for the footsteps. Yeah, the clip-clop like, of it all, yeah. 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 It's and really I mean, weird. It is. And, I mean, the other thing as well, you know, we, sort of, we said about the sort of, the, you know, where people are set, you know. So in the novel, Dracula hides in England, yeah? He's in mm-hmm. Carfax Abbey, you know. So, yeah, and that's which all... is why, sort of, sorry, Tinta, the thing of Jonathan being a librarian in the film doesn't sort of really fit because obviously in the book, the whole reason for him going there is because he's looking for places for Dracula to live in England. So him being there, and that sort of explains why Dracula comes to England is because Jonathan has secured this place that he wants to buy. Whereas... Him being a librarian in the film is, has no need for Dracula to even come to England. It, it removes the whole purpose of it. Yeah, yeah, no, completely. And I think that's the one thing for me because I am a bit of I, I am a bit of a purist when it comes to sort of you know certain. I think you're either going to go completely 
with the story, with the original source material, or you're going to take, you're going to use it as your inspiration, and you're going to take it in a completely different direction. I think where sometimes the film falls down is where it takes little bits, yeah, from here and there, and I think it does sort of, um, it does fall down a little bit. Now, when this came out in 1958, of course, it was the first time that people sort of really saw blood on the screen. Because yeah, the sort of the main scene that was like classes shocking was. Um, Mina drinking the blood from his chest, and that, like, I remember reading about that, like, really shocked the audience because that was seen as like quite oh. highly erotic, yeah, yeah. It's, like really sexual, yeah, because yeah. he cuts his chest and obviously gives tries to give the blood to Mina to turn her into a vampire, and yeah, you know, back then that sort of scene was seen, um, you know, that, that was like an incredibly shocking scene because obviously. He's bare chested and she's drink you know, drinking blood from him. You know, now it's I suppose it, it's kind of like a, a perversion of like mothers feeding their babies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. on the breast. And yeah. you know, nowadays you sort of like oh, bare chested man, you know. <laughs> you know, you see naked men on films and blood drinking is like a completely normal thing in like horror films now. But back then obviously, you know, people are like <gasps> Yeah, this, so, yeah, but I mean, in the film, you you sort of, you know, people sort of talked about the gore and the blood and those type. What do you think the body count was for Dracula's, the 1958 Dracula? What do you reckon? Uh, probably one. Yeah, probably <laughs> just Dracula. Five. <laughs> it's five people in total. That's oh, really? it. That's it. Yeah. It's five people in total. And obviously, in terms of the sort of... Um, the sort of you know obviously the, the famous sort of drinking of blood and those type you don't really see any of it everybody no. sort of sort of goes in and it's almost like a quick nip on the neck and that's it and, um and go- also sort of um obviously in, in the book when lucy's turned she has um a hunger for drinking from children yeah which yeah. um it's not you know the film doesn't it's sort of like that's like glossed everything is glossed over obviously in the book you know because Lucy does get turned but yeah um Lucy's sort of like not really a main part of yeah everyone sort of thinks of Jackie and Mina it's yeah. like yeah. but you know he yeah. turns Lucy and in the book Lucy does drink blood from children she doesn't kill them because obviously it what what I like about the old Jackie is it's not one bite and you turn he has to go back three times and then you have to and the victim has to drink his blood, or they he they'll drink his blood and die, and then they get turned to him. It's like nowadays, it's like one bite and that's it. You're a vampire, but yeah, you know Lucy is regularly drinking from children and and you know luring them out. These children are going to miss, and she's luring them out to yeah. the tooth, which is really and, dark when you think. Yeah, about it. it's so dark. It's so it, you know it, it's really really sinister. And yeah, and if you think if you did it nowadays, people would think it really people would because of a woman harming children. Uh, but back then, it's like obviously she doesn't, you know, yeah, she, doesn't, she doesn't kill any of them because she isn't drunk enough times from them. But she's also she's got a whole load of them that yeah, she drinks from a lot of children. Yeah, and it's like that. You know, the, the book was written you know centuries ago, and that even today would still be really dark. And I don't think like modern Dracula audiences would be too happy about it and they'd be like oh my gosh she's drinking from children it's like actually in the book that did happen yeah 
I mean, one of the things that I always think you're always in, you know, you know, you're always in a serious horror movie when either the dog gets it or children <laughs> yeah. start being chopped up. That's when you know you're you're, yeah. you're in pretty hardcore territory. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, I think you know, and it still sort of surprises me. Uh, is the scene in Thirty Days a Night where um they come across the um the little girl who's been turned. Yeah. And they chop her head off. And yeah. That's still um even today. You know, I've seen it quite a few times now, and even today I still think that's a fairly harsh beheading of a of a seven year old. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, but again, it's sort of, you know, it's one of those areas of the film that it sort of, um, it sort of glosses over. Because um, but... Lucy is not an important part of no, the film. No. Like Harker, she becomes a background character, but she's, she's a really interesting character because in the book, she's so sweet and innocent. Yeah. And like, she hates the fact that, you know, she gets the free marriage proposal from Quincy, Dr. Seward, and Arthur. Yeah. And she hates the fact that she has to break their hearts because she decides to marry Arthur. Yeah. And she is depicted as this incredibly sweet girl. And, you know, she loves children and she wants to get married and have a family. And then, of course, Dracula turns her and she starts drinking blood from children. It's such a, a massive change. And I think it was a deliberate thing on Stoker's part to depict her at first as completely innocent. And then when she's turned, she becomes... Uh, more sexual and yeah and the whole blood drinking from the kids as well it's sort of a massive character transformation which in the book is huge and then in the film she's just like a, a bit part really and yeah, yeah. but Lucy's very important yeah I mean what's interesting is as well when you look at the sort of you like I said you look at the level of violence you look at the level of goal what was really really shocking um, to audiences at the time when they saw the 1958 film is not so much that they actually saw the blood, but things were more hinted at. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, I sometimes think that's more effective. Yeah. Oh, completely. And I mean, if you look at, I mean, the most famous scene for that, obviously, is Psycho. Yeah. Um, when you yeah. look at that show, you never <clears throat> actually see this, the, the knife going into, no. um, you know, into... Oh, um, Janet Lee. Janet Lee. I need yeah. I, I was... It was on the tip of my tongue to say Jamie Lee. It's not Jamie Lee, it's Jamie Lee's mum. Don't say Jamie yeah. Lee, don't say... Yeah, no, Jamie Lee got caught by Michael Myers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they sort of upped the stakes a little bit for her, didn't they? So, um, yeah. But, I mean, again, um, I think, as a film overall, uh, one of the things I was always impressed with is the way in which the director, Terence Fisher, um, who would go on and direct uh, an inordinate amount of... Um, uh, Hammer films, you know, he would sort of, um, he would go to, um, of course, he'd do The Curse of Frankenstein, he'd do The Mummy, he would do Dracula, Prince of Darkness, um, you know, he would do that. But what I loved about the is the movement of the camera. Um, it gives mm -hmm. us, the, it really sort of goes away from that very, very still pacing. Um, and I think that's something that he does bring to all his films is that it sort of, it's not on for very long. The running time for the film is 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 particularly short. I think it's about um I think it runs in total of just under or just over an hour and ten or something like that. Yeah, the Hammer films were really short because yeah. when, when we started because we watched like some like many many years ago, but in October we set ourselves the um, challenge to watch a horror film for every day of October. 
and most of the ones we recorded off the, the horror channel were yeah. hammer yeah. ones and obviously you know we basically we only ever watch horror when we go to the cinema we'll only go and watch horror we only own horror dvds and superheroes we're a bit obsessed with superheroes too and obviously and we write horror so for you know a lot of films we've watched you know like some classics and that from when we were growing up but you know a lot of modern stuff so we kind of had not much have much experience with hammer horror we actually didn't think we'd enjoy them we thought are they going to be really tame by today's standards or mm. they're going to be really cheesy and cheap looking but we loved them and especially dracula ones they were our favorites and you know we've now watched a, you know a vast amount of hammer horror films yeah. and they are even now you know even with our sort of cynical and jaded experiences <laughs> they're still brilliant films oh yeah they're absolutely you know they are they're absolutely class 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 films i mean i've got to be honest that one of my my one of my very very favorite hammer films and it's towards the end of you know it's towards the end of the studio's life cycle and it was clear that they were really reaching for things at yeah. the time is um the legend of the seven golden vampires I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's absolutely <laughs> bonkers. It's brilliant. Uh, it sort of, you know, it it marries sort of my two, you know, two, my two favorite, one of my two favorite things, horror and martial arts. And, mm. you know, Van Helsing goes to China um, <laughs> to um, help a little village called Piquet uh, do battle with um, the force, you know, these sort of, these seven golden vampires that have been resurrected. Um, but he doesn't know that they've actually been resurrected by Dracula himself. Uh. Uh, it's absolutely bonkers, but it's <laughs> brilliant. But what is really cool about it is um, they managed to include the um, the Chinese vari uh, variation on the vampire, the Hopin vampire. Oh. Uh, it's really, really good. Um, and like I said, it's really cheesy and really silly, but it's one of my favourite ones. One of my very, very favourite ones. We'll keep an eye out for that. Yeah. yeah. In terms of Hammer, do you have any of your other favourite Hammer ones? I know you said about you sort of like the Dracula ones, but is there any other ones that you think, oh, I quite like, I enjoyed that one? Um, we we quite like the Frankenstein ones. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to remember what one. Um, it's like we've never really been much fans of Jacqueline Hyde. Well, we read the book first before seeing any... And we weren't really fans of the Jekyll and Hyde book because it's all written in. Yeah. It's hard, it's hard to read because it's written in Scots dialect. Yeah, yeah. And so it was a very hard book to read. But so we've never sort of particularly liked that. But um, no, it wasn't. It's. I mean, we love vampires anyway. We yeah, were, I we, can't remember the ones we've watched now because we've watched so many of them. But yeah. I mean, Dracula ones are the ones that stick in our heads the most. Yeah, yeah. Well, because you know what's interesting though, like we said right at the start of the show, we said about Christopher Lee, didn't we? He is the iconic image of Dracula, isn't he? To so many yeah. people. But in the in Dracula and the horror of Dracula in 1958, um, he only has 13 lines. Really? He wow. only has 13 lines in the film, and the only person that he speaks to is Jonathan Harker. Huh. 
Yeah, because yeah, in the book he, he speaks to Jonathan, but yeah, I don't actually recall him speaking much to the other characters. He, the, in, in the film, the only person, uh, I mean, apart from where he sort of snarls and hisses at a couple of people, the mm-hmm. only person that he actually speaks to is Harker. Yeah. And of actually, course, you know, yeah, he doesn't speak. I mean, I think in the book Van Helsing speaks to him, but yeah, it's just sort of, you know, when you think 39's in the film nowadays, that's like, it's a bit character part, but because of his like on-screen presence and that, it's, it doesn't matter that he only no, says no, exactly. lines. And I mean, again, and the sort of the, the top billed actors in this film are Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. You know, Christopher Lee has 13 lines in the entire film, and Peter Cushing doesn't show up until 25 minutes in. <laughs> yeah, because like Van Helsing in the books doesn't show up till yeah, till Lucy's really sick. Yeah. But it's incredible, yeah. isn't it, that you've got this film that is sort of, you know, people say Dracula, Van Helsing, that actually the two main protagonists within the film, one doesn't show up till a good quarter of the way in, and yeah. the other one hardly says anything. <laughs> yeah. It just sort of goes to show the power that those two actors had. Yeah. And I mean, I love Peter Cushing. I am a huge Peter Cushing fan. Um, and I mean, have you seen Shockwave? No. With Peter Cushing, where he plays a Nazi. No. He plays a Nazi who's uh, been sort of stranded on this island uh, where they've created these super zombies. Uh, uh, it's... Oh, see, I love of zombie Nazi films is like um, Dead Snow. Yeah. Dead Snow 2, which are brilliant. They are great films. They are <laughs> superb films. But yeah, if you get a chance, Shockwave is a brilliant film. Absolutely brilliant film. And Peter Cushing in that is he's superb. He is superb in it. Um, but here's, you know... The other crazy thing as well, the cape that Christopher Lee wore um, in the film was lost for donkey's years, absolutely donkey's years. And it appeared, somebody found it about 30 years later, um, and they sold it for (gasps) (laughs) $50,000. $50,000 they sold it for. I I couldn't sell it. I know. I, I don't know how people do it. I find, you know, I've, um, every now and again, I have, uh, you know, every month I have one of these geek boxes that come through. Oh, yeah. And I have major, major difficulties to deciding whether I take something out of the box or not. <laughs> yeah. So coming across Christopher Lee's cape, I think, to be honest with you, I'd probably wear it. I, yeah, oh, absolutely. You'd have to. Although with us, we'd probably have to hem it a bit. It's <laughs> But, you know, we're only five foot one. Although we could probably stand on each other's shoulders and we might be alike. But... You, know, you see, though, that would be a really, really cool thing to do at a convention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but interestingly enough, um, obviously his cape went for $50,000. Christopher Lee was paid £750 in total for this film. Oh, my God. He wow. was paid £750 for it. Wow. That's an extra get. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely insane if you think about sort of, you know, wages and those type of things. Yeah. Um, it's, it's crazy. He got £750 for his... God. His, it goes to show them that he did it for the, you know, the love of acting. Like nowadays, like, you hear about the yeah, yeah, stars demanding they want so much million to do a film. Yeah, if you said to a star, obviously I know £750 back then. Would have been a lot worth a lot more than seven hundred fifty pound now. But if you were to offer probably that equivalent to someone who was going to be the main star of a film, they'd be like, "I'm not doing that. Yeah. Not for that little." Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
and listen to this you think about sort of you know when you think about the sort of 100 million 200 million uh, box office openings that we have now this film when it opened only took 1682 pounds oh god well see that would be considered like a massive oh yeah, yeah. massive fee you know but it's like all these years later it's still a brilliant film it's like a lot of modern films you know, we won't be watching them in forty years' time. No, no, well, no completely. No, you know, I mean, if you think about sort of as much as we sort of, um, I enjoyed um, some of the paranormal activity films, particularly the first one I enjoyed. I thought that was okay, but then when you think about parts, you know, from you know two, three on, will they stand the test of time? Will somebody be sitting around discussing those type of films in the same way that they discuss, that people talk about Dracula now? No, and obviously, like now nowadays, you know, a lot of people see sort of when they think of Hammer, they think oh, it's sort of cheesy, cheap, cheesy films, cheap sets, and other that. But it's like actually, it, they're not. They may have been cheap sets, but they're not cheesy films. They're sort of, you know, they're still enjoyable to watch. Yeah, yeah, and there's a, there's a real craft to those films. There's a real, um, you know, I mean. When you look at like Hammer and you sort of people automatically think, do they blubs, blood and boobs, essentially? Don't they? Yeah. They about, you know, but you sort of. Uh, but they were real boobs back then. Yes, they were proper <laughs> boobs. They were real boobs. Yeah, but you look at like the legacy of the films that you know that it's made. I mean, it started off obviously doing sort of, um, you know, in various different guises, and you know, but when you look on, you know, you look at the horror, you know, the horror that they made and the contributions that they did to it, you know, you look at, you know, from Dracula to um, the Quite the Mass films, the Curse of Frankenstein, um, to the you know Camp of Blood Island, um, the Man Who Could Cheat Death. It's a ridiculous film, but it's absolutely superb, um, you know. And then they sort of, you know, they would do the Phantom of the Opera. The, you know, it's such an amazing, amazing company that has such a huge impact. Yeah, um, it's sort of like modern horror would not really have existed without Hammer. You know, they sort of, you know, they were so big back then. And, you know, all, all the, yeah, they made, made hundreds of films that, you know, that are still watched today. You um, can't imagine a company like, sort of existing now in the same way of producing the volume of films that they did and you know having the sort of thing of going that's a hammer horror film yes or when you think of stuff like you know like blood and boobs and that you like, that's a hammer horror or even like the artwork yeah no, the artwork on the films is also you like you see it and you're like that's a hammer horror no no other company nowadays would have this and even near the same impact yeah. No, you're right, completely right. And I mean, one of the things that I absolutely love about this film is the sets. The sets are yeah. incredible, absolutely incredible. And, you know, the, the, the attention to detail is just... What, they reused the Dracula set. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, if you think... Hang on, it's just the same story. And it's like, but also... With that that stairway, obviously that leads up to the landing, and obviously they fight it. There was no balcony. They could have fallen off. Nowadays, health and safety would be like, you know, have a stairway with that open landing like that. That is just dangerous. But you know, back then it it was fine. To be, when we watched it, we were like, there's no like, there's no banisters. Some someone could just fall off that. There is actually. Um, 
when you look at there's a scene where they go to the undertakers to because dracula's coffin has been moved from castle dracula and it's been sent to the undertakers um and they go to the, mm. to the undertakers and there's one major major issue with dracula's coffin what do you think it is what is the one thing that they've put on Dracula's coffin, which would probably stop him getting into his own coffin? Oh, is it like silver or lead? Or... They've got a massive cross on the top of it. Oh, yeah. So you can imagine, oh, God, I'm about yeah. to get in there. The sun's coming up. No, wait, I can't. There's a giant cross. Because <laughs> I know in the book they they destroy his coffins yes they, they, they do the, they, they take the earth of holy water it, and that. yeah they, they um yeah they pour holy water in that so that he can't return and so obviously they've got to find all his coffins because he's got loads of them in the book and they have to find them all and like um but again in the book renfield is major because he helps him yeah you know he helps dracula and through the book, you know, a lot of Dr. Seward's notes is his study on Renfield. In fact, he's eating flies and then he's eating spiders and he progresses into birds. And then he's like, can I have a pet cat? And Seward's like, no. Yeah, yeah it's not, yeah. You're not eating cats. You're not eating cats. But um, Renfield's such a big part of the book. But again, in the film, it's like a little scene that they're like introduced to him and he's not even called Renfield. No. And they, he just like eats one fly and it's like, and that's uh, yeah. Well, actually, they, in the fifty-eight, in the nineteen fifty-eight, he's not in it at all. He doesn't even appear. It's not until the later ones that he does sort of pop up. Yeah. You know, it's, and, and it's a shame. It is a real shame because it does take away for me. Because I remember when seeing the films and seeing the Renfield character, and this is before we we read him by, doesn't that? Yeah, he's in. Yeah, yeah. 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 he's in, and um, they go in and see him, and like he eats a fly in that, and then this sort of uh, thing is made of you know his master. And in the film, you're like, who the hell is this guy? What's he got to do with this? What's he doing here? In the book, he's a massive part of it. And, you know, because he does, he's the reason Dracula can get into them is because... Yes, because he lets him in. He invites him in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at sort of, um, there are so many, but then it's it's sort of, there are so many wonderful characters in the book. um, And... I think in so many ways um, it would have been, I think in this particular version, in the 58 version, would have been nigh on impossible to nail it on um, yeah. and to get it right. Um, it, it's like Mina in the book, for her time, she's quite badass. Like, yeah, although completely. she's scared and she's scared for most of the book and, and she fears for the safety of the men, she still insists that she's part of the team that takes Dracula down. And when they sort of in the end go to kill him, they're like, you know, it's best for you to stay back because, of course, she's been bitten and nearly turned by him. Yeah. She does so, but very reluctantly because she still wants to go out and help him kill Dracula and help keep them safe from him as well. Yeah. And it's yeah, like, yeah. in the 1800s, you know, there was no such thing as feminism back then and it, but I think if the film like you know nowadays I don't think she'd be given she'd be the, the token wife the token girlfriend yeah. it was in the book she's a massive part of how they you know bring Dracula down she you know she's right there with them and even though she's sort of scared she's like okay I'm a woman but I'm not staying behind I'm gonna help you, you know he's killed my friend yeah 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you're saying about, you know, one of the most gruesome scenes, actually, in the entire film ha- was only um, sort of reinstated in the film quite recently. Because obviously at the end, where the sunlight hits, um, hits Dracula and he starts decomposing, um, it wasn't until, I think it's about 2011, that they managed to find, um, and it was from the Japanese cut of the film, that there's a bit where Dracula's melting and he actually pulls his face off. Oh. He pulls his face off. And it, it was only reinstated in 2011 um, because they came across, they, they, you know, they, they managed to track this piece down. Um, and it was only from the sort of fans in Japan who had managed to sort of um, get hold of this surviving footage that it was reinserted into the film because it was originally going to be um, restored um, in about 2007 by the BFI, but they they it took them up until 2011 to track down this bit. So the scene where he's melting, um, mm-hmm. and he, he it was always missing that one key element because it was cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except for um, the Japanese release of it, where they get to see him where he pulls his face off. Then why do they get to see it? Because yes. Japanese, you know, Japanese are like with horror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, like in Bride, they kill him by uh, the ice breaks around his castle, the moat. They sort of drive him onto the moat, and then the ice breaks, and of course, running water and vampires yes. don't mix. Yeah. He ends up like drowning instead, and which is nowhere near as dramatic. Him just like slipping under the ice. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I do like Brides of Dracula. I do yeah. think it's a really, it really, yeah. really good film. I'm also yeah. quite partial, and I'm probably going to get absolutely flayed alive for saying that. Is Dracula <laughs> um, uh, nineteen? I think is it nineteen seventy-eight? I'll have to check that. It's that one where um, he, he sort of um, he, he sort of uh, it's Dracula. I think it's nineteen seventy-eight A.D. Something ridiculous like that, where he's managed to sort of <laughs> skip ahead in time. Um, on his dire, it's absolutely dire. Um, there we are, Dracula AD 1972. Um, uh, it's and a guy called Johnny Alucard. See what they did there? Yeah. Uh, subtle raises Dracula from the dead in London in 1972, and then uh, he goes after the descendants of uh, Van Helsing. It's absolutely bonkers, um, and there's sort of the obligatory disco scene in it, and it, you know, it is just. <laughs> It's 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 right up there with you know I I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's sort of um, um, on par with something like Blackula, but <laughs> it, it's just as bad. But I'm really quite partial to it. It's one of my favourite ones. And again, it's that sort of hammer where clearly sort of um, will work for food uh, yeah. period in their um, in their time. So we're we're at that stage, <laughs> <laughs> aren't we all? Um, I mean. Obviously, you guys uh, haven't seen the film, um, but usually I ask people to give sort of um, give a bit of a score. Um, but sort of from the snippets that you sort of you know you've seen and given given into account, sort of because um, we've seen the you know the iconic Dracula death scene and yeah, but might we revisit that in like yeah. the sequel and you know, based on, like, the other Hammer Dracula films that we've seen and loved, and we have seen snippets of the first one, because they do sort of reuse bits and yeah. secretly sort of, like, backstory before it starts, mm. don't they? Um, but, and going on that, and, and we love the sequel, yeah, sort of, and we, we are now going to track it down and uh, and watch it, because we, we've loved the bits that we have seen of it, and it's well worth it and I mean in a, you know in a, we usually sort of score everything out of 10 
and uh, for a sort of, I'm gonna, st I'm, I'm gonna, I'm toying, I'm, I'm really torn between like a seven point five and an eight. Um, yeah, yeah, I was gonna go that because of the the bits that changed. The yeah, yeah, and I'm, it didn't he change it? Didn't he mess him with? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm probably gonna, I'm gonna say it's a seven point five. Um, it's a sort of, it's a must own if you're, a, you know, if, yeah. If you're, a, I'm a bit of a completist. So I've, you know, I'm one of these people. If I've got parts one, I may have to see it through till part twenty-five. With like that, which so yeah, yeah. You, you know, you, yeah. You, you got to keep up Despite your better judgment, it's like no, no, okay. Yeah, um, we started, so we'll finish. Yeah, yeah. We, got, yeah. we got the set of Nightmare on Elm Street, and the, those films they just get funnier with each one. I know yeah. a lot of people slate like the the later. Nightmare on Elm Street films, but they're funny and you and know. some of the deaths are ingenious. Like oh, they the, are, they the, are, they are. the puppet and he takes his veins out and uses him as a puppet. Brilliant. Part three and is that, absolutely. And we got the box set of the Nightmare of uh, Friday the Thirteenth films, which we got Kane Hodder to sign for oh. us. We, we took so uh, he did sign our Friday the Thirteenth box set. That is nice. impressive. That is very. I, I can honestly say I'm fairly jealous at this moment in time. Kane is going to be at Swansea Horrorcon on July first and second. Awesome. That's... Because we, we're get we're guests in Swansea Hot. We managed to talk our way blag okay. our way into being guests at Swansea Horrorcon. Well played. Well and, uh, played. We because we, we were like we've got Swansea blood. Our family are from Swansea, and we were like. <laughs> And so really, we should be guests, and they, they did say yes, and he is actually going to be there as well, so. Oh, awesome. Well, I'm, I'm, one of the things I've sort of, well, one of my New Year's resolutions, even though I've said I've never, I don't really make them, is that I'm going to make sure that I'm out and about and I get to get to more conventions um, and getting around. Because, you know, whenever we do, I always, you know, whenever I go, always really enjoy it, but it's always that sort of, Oh, I've got to do this. I got to, you're, you're elsewhere, and you sort of think. Oh, yeah, but I am definitely going to be. Uh... We're in Birmingham Horrorcon on February the fourth, and Tony Moran, who is the first Michael Myers, is there. Yes. And a few people from Nightmare on Elm Street and Nightmare on Elm Street. The guy King K. Yeah, the guy mm. taking K in, uh, I think it's film four and five, he, King yeah. K's in it. Yeah. He's there. The guy who played Rod from the first film is there. He was actually at Bristol. Yes, yes. And um, Hugh Garcia. Yeah, because we, we sort of walked past him and we were like, oh my God, it's Rod. I did and have so a moment. A few I... of the Nightmare on Elm Street ones when I went to Bristol, I didn't realise who was going to be there. And I did have a moment where I sort of, the people were sat at the table because they had, uh, what's his name, didn't they, from Human Centipede there as well. Yes. Uh, yes. yes. And I sort of went past and I sort of had that look and thought, sort of said, oh, that's, is that really so-and-so from Nightmare on Elm Street? Right, don't look too, because you don't want to sort of offend anybody by going, didn't you used to be, you know, that's yeah, yeah. Thing, but, but yeah, you know, it's, um, it's always we, interesting. We, we, yeah, we have a nasty habit of embarrassing ourselves in front of celebrities. <laughs> Um, we went to Wrexham Comic Con um, in, was that November? Yeah. That might be November. We were filling in for some friends of ours who are on um, Hellbound Media Publisher and they do um, horror comics and yes. uh, they could get on the one day. So we were filling in for them. And um, um, the guy who plays Jack and the Gar in Game of Thrones, the faceless oh, yes. man, yes. he was there. And... We were like, you know, we love Game of Thrones. And we, so we were like, ah, oh, we're totally getting a photo of him. And ran up to his table. And obviously, you think Game of Thrones, he's got this, like, long wig on and yes, that. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. we were like, short hair. And 
my first words to him were, you're really hot in real life. And I mean, Andrew, who was with us at the time, started laughing. And I was like, and the, the guy, Tom, um, who plays Jack and the Gal, was like, you're going on my list. And then I was thinking, oh, God, he plays an assassin. This is probably not a good list to be on. And I like, was just like laughing at us. I was like, what? And he was like, what you said? I was like, I paid him a compliment. And he was like, no, you said you're really hot in real life. I was like, but he is. Yeah, you're actually really yeah, hot. Yeah, you're actually really hot in real life. And Andrew's like, so you just basically told him that he's ugly on TV. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> so we, we just don't think. And it's like, you know, we just blurt these things out, like making dick jokes mm. with Kane Harder. We've got like, <laughs> we've got like, we're, we're like totally uncool. You got locked in the toilets with Linnea, almost locked in the toilets. I, I did need to get locked in toilets with Linnea quickly in a Sheffield. <laughs> and because... I, I was there, it was like the end of the day, I was there, and the security's like, is anyone in here? I was like, yeah, and then I could hear this American voice ne- in the cubicle next door going, yeah, I'm in here, and then when sort of came out, and she came out, and she had this beautiful dress on, and my first thought was, oh my God, she, she's like really short, and then and I thought, actually, she's my height, I must be really short, and then, then she was talking to me, and she was saying about how much fun it would be to actually get locked in the building. I was like, it, it actually would be a lot of fun. And she complimented me on my outfit. And, like, and I was like, oh, I, I love your dress. And so you're nice, but it's like, that's what my claim to fame is, nearly getting locked in the toilet to bring here quickly. <laughs> but she was lovely. That's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. <laughs> well, I'm just about sort of, I think we've pretty much exhausted uh, the uh, Dracula from 1958. I think we've sort of gone from hammer to making dick jokes with Kane Hodder to get him locked into the <laughs> toilet um, and back again um, so again like I said uh, I'm going to score uh, Dracula from 1958 or the horror of Dracula as it's known in America as 7.5 um, mm-hmm. it, I'm going to say it's a it, you know it's um, mm. it's a must stone for any uh, horror fan Guys, you know, I hope you guys get a chance to uh, to, uh, to go back and sort of see it again. We, see it. We, we, we love the sequel, we love Brides, and it's like, you know, when you're a horror fan, you have to watch the classics because the, the, the modern genre wouldn't exist really without no, Hammer. And, and the Dracula Hammer films, they are brilliant, you know, even now, because, you know, we were shocked by actually how good they are because of, you know, you do think of Hammer as being a bit cheesy, but. It's like actually they're not. They're really, you know, especially then really good films and, and they're, they're responsible for making Dracula like sexualized. It's not yeah. like in the yeah. book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they did that. They did that to the vampire legend. <laughs> <laughs> and they did it in the right way. There was no twinkling vampire in this. No. Way, so. Oh God, no. Ugh. So before we wrap everything up, is there anything that you guys, you know, do you want to tell uh, my? The, the listeners and anybody out there where they can find you um, where they can purchase your books guys I'm going to say this now get out there um, I bought you stuff off Amazon um, yeah uh, we're on Amazon yeah but it's Just well we're, we're on Amazon we're, we're doing the concert this year we're at Birmingham horror in February we're doing Digicon in Doncaster at the end of February we're going to Venice ghost hunting in between that nice uh, we're at Swansea Horror Con July 1st and 2nd. We are our guests because we blagged our way into that. We'll be back at Bristol October 14th and Birmingham again end of October. And 
if they accept our booking form, we'll be back at Sheffield in May 13th and 14th. But so, yeah, we've we got a few plans, and yeah, everything's available on Amazon, and we're, we're easy to spot in the uh, in the cons with, with goth twins, with bright coloured hair. At the <laughs> moment, it's like a mixture of turquoise, blue and green. It's like mermaid hair at the moment. Nice. It was all last year, but... We've got mermaid here right now. So. And we stand up so people can see us. Because we're that short. If we sit down, people won't see us behind that book. So. And in terms of social media, do you want to plug, you know, where the guys, people can find you on social media? Yeah, we're, we're on Twitter um, at CLRaven. We're on Instagram at CLRaven666. Which is, at the moment, our Instagram feed is mostly filled with us. Uh, po- we do po- we're learning pole fit. So uh, most of our Instagram at the moment is filled with us trying to learn pole fit and not fall off the pole. And our pets. <laughs> yeah, and our pets as well. And, um, and we can also be found like in um, abandoned hospitals and asylums because we do uh, as well as ghost hunting we do a bit of urbex then yeah so yeah we've got youtube uh, raven's retreat is youtube or if you like D, we film our dnd stuff <laughs> hey sorry our cats attacked our dog um uh yeah we also do dnd so we're, like, we're on as dis- disaster class on uh, youtube as well and uh, yeah we have cr raven fan club as well on facebook yeah that's awesome guys it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show love to have you back on it's again. been a lot of fun it, 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 it oh, yeah, we'd love to have you back on again um oh, we come back on we'll watch the film next time <laughs> <laughs> there, well, See, that's why we also picked evil dead you've seen that <laughs> actually i was going to say look you've got an open invitation we're going to be i know um liam and a few and uh, my other co-hosts Leighton, are desperate desperate to cover cover the evil dead at some point oh, so we're massive fans yes definitely so again uh, thank you very much, guys, for being on the show. It's really, really appreciate No problem at all. And that, ladies and gentlemen, wraps up episode nine. I want to say a big thank you to Cat and Links for being on. Guys, you check out their book. I mean, um, I'm right in the middle, as I said, of reading Soul Asylum. It is absolutely superb. I can't wait to uh, read their other stuff. Um, you know, guys, follow them on Twitter. Um, at CL Raven, I'll put their links on there. You can follow them at Raven's Nest. Um, I'll put the links up to their website there, guys. Th- on Instagram, uh, they are always, always entertaining. And like I said, I look forward to uh, having them back on the show. As always, um, I want to give a big shout out to uh, the Horror Movie Podcast um, at Dave Doctor Shock Becker's uh, DVD Infatuation. Guys, honestly, you've got to get yourselves over to his Twitter account and his blog, DVD Infatuation. It's fantastic. If you're looking for um, a podcast to listen to, other than mine, of course, uh, get yourself over to the Horror Movie Podcast because on there you've got Jay of the Dead, you've got Wolfman Josh, you've got uh, Dr. Shock himself. It is a great, great show. Um always worth listening jay has got some really really interesting ideas of uh, what's horror um and what's not um it's a brilliant 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 show i absolutely love it also i want to give a big shout out to gregor mortis and his crew over at land of the creeps guys i absolutely love your italian horror stuff keep it up it's brilliant stuff it's really really good also a big shout out to cadaver cast Guys, again, they're on SoundCloud. Listen to them. They're superb. It's, it's a great, great, great show. It's a, uh, a father and son show. 
um, talking about horror. It is brilliant. It does go to show that horror is not just for adults, it's for everybody. So uh, get yourselves over there and listen to them. I want to give my man Paul at Glastonbury Comics a big shout out. I've been in there recently, spent a lot of money again. He's feeding my addiction, um, but in a really, really good way. Um, again, uh, on Twitter, guys, get yourselves over to at Blake at Spivey Point. Brilliant guy. Uh, always got something interesting that he's posting. Again, get yourself over to CJ's uh, VHS Revival. Um, that's at VHS Revival. Absolutely brilliant blog, brilliant writer, great guy. Get yourselves over there. Now, guys. Um, oh, before I go, one more, yeah, a couple more I got to shout out. Almost forgot. Schlock Horror, absolutely superb as well. Uh, really, really good. Really, really good Twitter account. So, that is just about it now we've made it to the end if you've been with us uh for all nine episodes so far thank you very much um i'm i'm still overwhelmed and really really pleased that people listen that you get involved that you tweet that you retweet um you know remember please subscribe to the show uh over at uh, youtube really really appreciate it um it's an absolute pleasure i love doing the show um, I'm really, really lucky that you guys listen. Um, I'm humbled by it. Um, your response on Twitter always, always amazes me. So thank you very, very much. So I am going to go now and leave you in peace. So in the immortal words of Count Dracula, good night out there, whatever you are. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.